We, the prosecution of the state of Texas, intend to prove that the defendant, Lee Harvey Oswald, acted alone shooting the 35th President of the United States, John Fitzgerald Kennedy, on November 22, 1963, at 12.30 Central Standard Time in Dealey Plaza, Texas. And 30 minutes later, at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time, President Kennedy was officially declared dead by Dr. Kemp Clark at Parkland Memorial Hospital in Dallas. Then, not long after, at 1.30 Central Standard Time, a suspect in the killing of Dallas Police Officer J.D. Tippett was arrested. Officer Tippett had been killed while patrolling the residential Oak Cliff area in Dallas around 1.10 p.m. Central Standard Time. The suspect in this crime was 24-year-old male Lee Harvey Oswald, who was arrested when he was found inside the Texas Theater in Dallas, possibly carrying a gun which he tried to use against the arresting officers of the Dallas Police Department. The suspect, Lee Harvey Oswald, while in police custody, was also the subject of an inquiry by Captain John Will Fritz of the Dallas Police Department in connection with the assassination of President John Kennedy. The suspect, Lee Harvey Oswald, worked in a building along the route of the presidential motorcade in the immediate vicinity of the crime. We, the prosecution for the state of Texas, intend to prove that witnesses in Dealey Plaza had informed Dallas police officers of hearing shots coming from the Texas School Book Depository situated to the north of the plaza. At around 1.15 p.m. Central Standard Time, an assassin's nest was found on the sixth floor of this building containing three spent rifle cartridges. It was at that time, or around that time, or not long after, that the rifle was found in the immediate vicinity of this nest. The rifle was identified as a 7.65 millimeter Mauser. Later that day at police headquarters, this rifle was identified as a 6.65 Manlicker Carcano. That night, FBI agents in Chicago helped trace the rifle, the 6.5 Manlicker Carcano, to one A.J. Hedell, P.O. Box 2955, Dallas, Texas. This post office box belonged to the suspect, Lee Harvey Oswald. The gun allegedly found on Oswald at the time of his arrest was also traced to this post office box. And if Jack Ruby had not killed the suspect, Lee Harvey Oswald, we, the prosecution, would have proved that Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone killing the 35th President of the United States on November 22, 1963, from a sniper's nest, firing the fatal shots through an open six-floor Texas school book depository window. We the defense for the accused defendant, Lee Harvey Oswald, intend to prove that Lee Harvey Oswald is an innocent man and he did not kill Officer Tippett or kill the 35th President of the United States, John Fitzgerald Kennedy. We also intend to prove that the defendant, Lee Harvey Oswald, did not have a motive to commit the crimes that he has been wrongly accused of in this case. And furthermore, we will prove that Executive Order Number 11130 that was signed on November 29th 1963 by President Johnson establishing the President's Commission on the Assassination of President Kennedy commonly referred to as the Warren Commission, a seven-member commission that concluded that Lee Harvey Oswald unaided was the assassin in both crimes that was released on September 24, 1964 and signed by all the commission members was a deliberate attempt to obstruct justice and bring the two parties responsible for the deaths of Officer Tippett and President Kennedy to justice. And lastly, we the defense will prove that not only was Lee Harvey Oswald innocent of both of these crimes, he was a pawn in the game used 
by a covert group who ordered the assassination of John Kennedy to gain political power. Let us begin by examining the Warren Commission report. The initial research for the truth in the assassination was performed by the Warren Commission whose members unanimously decided that Lee Harvey Oswald was the assassin of both President John Kennedy and Patrolman J.D. Tippett. It would then stand to reason that the evidence against Lee Harvey Oswald was indisputable. Or was it? Let us begin with Exhibit A, the rifle. If Lee Harvey Oswald was the lone assassin firing the fatal shots to kill John F. Kennedy from an open sixth-floor Texas school depository window, then his fingerprints should have been found on the murder weapon. Would you not agree? I will read now an excerpt from the Warren Commission. Let's see what they had to say. And here is what the Warren Commission had to say about the search for fingerprints on the rifle. A few minutes after the rifle was discovered on the sixth floor of the Texas School Depository Building, it was examined by Lieutenant J.C. Day of the Identification Bureau of the Dallas Police Department. Lieutenant Day lifted the rifle by the wooden stock after he examined it, which convinced him that the wood was too rough to take a fingerprint. Lieutenant Day went on to inspect the knob of the bolt, but he discovered no prints on that part of the rifle. Then Lieutenant Day applied fingerprint powder to the side of the metal housing near the trigger and noticed traces of two prints. According to Lieutenant Day, the FBI ordered him not to make a comparison between the rifle print and Oswald's print. I now ask the question, why? I would like to now provide a possible answer to this question. The answer is pretty simple. Lieutenant Day would have discovered that suspect Lee Harvey Oswald's fingerprints were not on that rifle which would explain why Lee Harvey Oswald himself would call himself the Patsy. Lee Harvey Oswald was set up, plain and simple. The FBI were deliberately involved in stonewalling any investigation which would prove that Lee Harvey Oswald was innocent. Sometime later, around 11.45 p.m. Central Standard Time, the rifle was handed over to FBI agent Vincent Drain, who took it to Washington, to the FBI laboratory where Sebastian F. Lantona on the morning of November 23rd examined the rifle. He found the areas where prints were visible protected by cellophane. Lantona, however, concluded the prints were insufficient for identification and that they were of no value. He processed the complete weapon and found no identifiable prints. His boss, Federal Bureau of Investigation Director J. Edgar Hoover, therefore signed the statement that no latent prints of value were developed on Oswald's revolver. The cartridge cases, the unfired cartridge, the clip in the rifle, or the inner parts of the rifle. However, the Warren Commission argues that Lieutenant Day did lift a palm print from the rifle, found on the inner parts of the rifle. Day claimed the lifting was so complete that no trace of the print was left. A member of his lab, Rusty Livingstone, claims the lifting was complete but also claims the print was not fresh, that it was an old one. This means that even though there might have been a print, there is no evidence Oswald handled the rifle that day, which says enough. But even so, there is no record of such a discovery on November 22nd. This evidence was only released on November 26th and arrived at FBI headquarters on November 29th. And even though the Warren Commission said the lifting was so complete that no trace of the print was left, Lieutenant Day believed there were sufficient traces left 
on the rifle barrel. But oddly enough, during his investigation of the rifle, FBI expert Latona didn't see these traces. Lieutenant Day said he nevertheless specifically pointed out the print to Agent Drain when I gave him the rifle. FBI Agent Drain denied that this had happened and said the palm print had been faked. The FBI, trying to clarify the matter, attempted to make Day certify a statement that he lifted the palm print, something Lieutenant Day declined to do. I now pose the question, does it not seem rather strange that Lieutenant Day would not officially state he had found the palm print? There is now reasonable doubt about the legitimacy of this print when we look into the chain of possession of the evidence. The idea of chain of evidence means that the whereabouts, possession of a piece of evidence, has to be known at all times if this evidence is to be admitted as evidence during a trial. Therefore, this evidence was tainted, which would cause a mistrial. And to make my point perfectly clear, on the afternoon of November 24th, hours after Lee Harvey Oswald was killed in the basement of the Dallas Police Department, the rifle was returned to Dallas. Two days later, the rifle was again returned to Washington. No plausible reason was given why the weapon should be taken back to Dallas. Is there a reason? I think I believe I have the answer. The corpse of Lee Harvey Oswald was taken to Miller Funeral Home after he was declared dead on November 24th and before he was buried on November 25th. The director of the funeral home, Paul Grudy, stated that the FBI came to fingerprint Oswald's corpse while he was in his funeral home. He even had to remove the dirt from Oswald's fingers afterwards. FBI agent Richard Harrison said he had personally driven an FBI agent and the rifle to the funeral home. Harrison said he understood that the agent intended to place Oswald's palm print on the rifle for comparison purposes. I now pose the question, if Lee Harvey Oswald was fingerprinted while in police custody, then why would the FBI now need to take a new set of fingerprints? Why this was done by the FBI is unclear, but after these new prints were taken, the rifle was returned to Washington and Lieutenant Day suddenly released his data of having found the palm print on the rifle as early as November 22nd. And then three days later the palm print arrived at the FBI headquarters in Washington and Latona identified this palm print as the right palm print of Lee Harvey Oswald. I present a strong argument that Lee Harvey Oswald was being framed by the FBI and planting the fingerprints on the rifle while he was laid dead in the funeral home in Texas. And after the FBI had fingerprinted Oswald's corpse, D.A. Wade on Monday, November 25th, said, Let's see, his fingerprints were found on the gun. Have I said that? He hadn't said that. That was the first time that he did. Wade also said that the strongest evidence against Oswald was the fact that his prints were found on the rifle. And that evening, Monday evening, the Dallas Times-Herald headlines read, Oswald's prints revealed on rifle killing Kennedy. And it was now obvious that the press was nailing the coffin shut for Lee Harvey Oswald and convicting him as a lone gun assassin in the JFK assassination without proof. And no sooner had the ink dried on the newspaper article written, everyone was proclaiming Lee Harvey Oswald's guilt. But because of the untimely death of Lee Harvey Oswald, we may never know all the answers to this riddle. And we may never know why Jack Ruby killed Lee Harvey Oswald 
or why Lee Harvey Oswald called himself the Patsy. I think it is important that we begin with the identification by Lieutenant J.C. Day of the rifle. The Warren Report has this to say. Lieutenant Day promptly noted that stamped on the rifle itself was the serial number Sears and Charles 2766 as well as the markings 1940 made in Italy and Cal.65 promptly is a rather vague description. Most people believe that it means that the rifle was identified at the book depository. However, Lieutenant Day was never asked whether he identified the rifle at the scene. The rifle on the sixth floor of the depository building was found by three officers, Weitzman, Boone, and Craig. Captain Wilfritz and Lieutenant Day were called and identified the weapon. This should mean that Weitzman, Boone, and Craig only saw the rifle but didn't handle it, whereas Fritz and Day did handle it. This means that the testimony by Fritz and Day is much more important because they did a more thorough investigation of the rifle. WBAP, a local radio station, broadcasting the following on November 22nd. Crime Lieutenant J.C. Day just came out of that building, reported British 303 rifle with telescopic lenses. Question by Commission, Counsel Bellin. Day was asked whether he ever described the rifle as anything but a 6.5 caliber with regards to the rifle itself. Day replied, I didn't describe this rifle to anyone other than police officers. Day states he didn't report to the BAP journalists that it was a British 303 rifle. But Day clearly didn't answer Bellin's questions. Since the issue was not pursued, it is very possible that Lieutenant Day did describe the rifle as anything but a 6.5 caliber but only to the other police officers, not the media. They also claim that driving back to the office with FBI agent Odom, Odom radioed in the identity of the rifle. Mr. Odom never mentioned this and was not called before the Warren Commission. Once again, we see that a claim made by Lieutenant Day is uncorroborated. And now let us examine the other person who identified the rifle as being a 6.5 millimeter Manlicker Carcano, Captain Fritz. Captain Fritz, who unlike Day was not a member of the Dallas Police Department Identification Section. Before the Warren Commission, Boone, who found the weapon, said he had heard Captain Fritz refer to the rifle as being a Mauser. The testimony by Captain Fritz and Lieutenant Day surely have many inaccuracies. And what did Boone, Weissman, and Craig have to say about the rifle that they found? Let us begin with Boone. The report says the rifle Boone found was a 6.5 millimeter Manlicker Carcano. Deputy Eugene Boone in his report on November 22nd, however, identified the rifle as a 7.65 millimeter German Mauser, what appeared to be a 7.65 millimeter Mauser with a telescopic sight. Weitzman also claimed it was a Mauser. The Warren Commission report in the Speculation and Rumors section claimed that Weitzman had little more than a glimpse of it. I now pose the question, why would the Warren Commission imply that little weight should be given to Weitzman's statements? Let's examine that. I will read now Weitzman's sworn affidavit. Weitzman stated that the rifle was a 7.65 Mauser bolt action equipped with a 4 and 18 scope, a thick leather brownish black sling on it. Most certainly such a detailed description means Weissman had a thorough look at the rifle, even though he still might have been mistaken about the identification of the rifle. This, however, is unlikely since Weissman 
was known to be experienced in guns and it even worked in gun shops. I now pose the question, why wasn't Weissman called before the Warren Commission to identify the rifle that he had found? Now let us examine what Deputy Sheriff Roger Craig had to say about finding the rifle. Boone and I found the rifle, which I might add was a 7.65 Mauser, so stamped on the barrel. Craig didn't even have to know anything about weapons. He only had to be able to read and notice the inscription. It seems Craig somehow believed they wouldn't ask him about what kind of rifle it was since the commission had a 6.5 Manlicker Carcano, not a 7.65 Mauser, and he would have outsmarted the commission, putting into evidence that he had identified it as a Mauser and not, as the commission wanted everyone to believe, a Manlicker Carcano. I now pose the question, could a rifle, a German Mauser, be switched with a Manlicker Carcano? Dallas Police Chief Jesse Curry said that anyone wanting to substitute rifles could have gotten away with it at the time, implying nobody would have noticed the substitution. No special precautions were taken to isolate the weapons as historic evidence, he said. And the possibility now exists that the Manlicker Carcano was not the rifle found on the sixth floor of the depository building, which now raises a serious red flag. Why would the Warren Commission report make up a bald-faced lie? And for the record, I will show and prove that the only evidence that the Warren Commission had was that Lee Harvey Oswald did in fact work in the Texas School Book Depository Building. Up to this point, there is no proof that Lee Harvey Oswald is guilty, even though the Commission used two of the three items discussed so far as proof of Oswald's guilt. The attempt to place Lee Harvey Oswald on the sixth floor of the Texas Book Depository at the time of the shooting has even turned into a side issue. I will now read testimony from the Commission's star witness, Howard Leslie Brennan, a 45-year-old pipefitter who, on November 22nd, was working on a construction project behind the Texas Book Depository. Warren Commission member Gerald Ford, who went on to become the President of the United States in an article in Life magazine on October 2, 1964, said that Brennan was their most important witness. Brennan was the only known person who actually saw Oswald fire his rifle at President Kennedy. However, this is not what the Commission proceedings and the evidence suggests. Commission members John McCloy asked Brennan whether he saw the rifle discharge the recoil or the flash. Brennan's answer was simple, no. It is safe to assume Brennan answered truthfully. He had nothing to gain by denying. This means Brennan did not see Oswald fire his rifle at President Kennedy, contrary to what Gerald Ford wrote in Life, and more importantly, what the report says. Since he didn't see a last shot being fired, it is very difficult or even impossible to explain how he could have possibly seen Oswald fired the shots. And for the record, Brennan, after hanging around Dealey Plaza for a while, came home at approximately 2.45 Central Standard Time and soon afterwards, as he himself admitted, saw Lee Harvey Oswald's picture on the television. Later that day, Brennan was asked to identify Oswald. No record exists of Brennan ever identifying Oswald during that police lineup. But one month later, strangely enough, Brennan was again asked if he could identify Lee Harvey Oswald as the man in his sixth floor window. He told the FBI that he could, 
But Brennan's foreman told a different tale. Sandy Speaker had this to say to assassination researchers. They took Brennan off for about three weeks. I don't know if they were Secret Service or FBI, but they were federal people. He came back a nervous wreck, and within a year his hair had turned snow white. He wouldn't talk about the assassination after that. He was scared to death. They made him say whatever they wanted him to say. About two months after the assassination, Brennan again was not positive. It was Oswald he had seen in that window on the sixth floor. Before the commission, he would answer McCloy's question negatively. The Warren Commission clearly based its conclusions on facts that are really no facts at all. The conclusion was based on ideas that go against the available evidence. The prosecution would lead you to believe that Oswald was on the sixth floor at the time of the shooting. But was he? Was there any credible eyewitness? Let's examine what we do know. Perhaps a reconstruction of the events might shed some light on this question. The Warren Commission said Oswald had been on the sixth floor as early as 11.55 Central Standard Time and remained there until seconds after he fired his last and fatal shot. The report explains that Charles Givens, after having gone down to have lunch, went back up to the sixth floor to take his cigarettes out of his jacket. On the sixth floor he encountered Lee Harvey Oswald. According to the report, Givens asked Oswald, Boy, are you going downstairs? Oswald allegedly replied, No, sir. When you get downstairs, close the gate to the elevator. The report continues with the statement that after this episode, this is what happened around 11.55. The Warren Report would like you to believe that Lee Harvey Oswald never went downstairs, but here is what witnesses said thereafter. Carolyn Arnold, a secretary at the depository, said she had seen Lee Harvey Oswald at 12.25 p.m. Central Standard Time. The FBI mistyped this time as 12.15 p.m. Central Standard Time. She went on to say it may have been later. She saw Oswald in the lunchroom on the second floor and she saw him there sitting alone eating lunch. However, her FBI statement said she thought she caught a fleeing glimpse of Oswald standing in the first floor hallway. It should be noted here that the FBI has many discrepancies in their reporting of the incidents. In 1978, Miss Arnold said the FBI had definitely misquoted her once again. The FBI report, of course, downplayed the importance of Arnold's sighting. It was just a fleeing glimpse. Billy Shelley, foreman at the depository and Oswald's immediate supervisor, said he saw Oswald near the telephone on the first floor on or about 12.15 p.m. This information blew apart the FBI's theory that Lee Harvey Oswald was up on the sixth floor at the time. It must have seemed as if Arnold and Shelley's statements conflicted whereas in reality they did not. Lee Harvey Oswald was not on the sixth floor at the time. Eddie Piper, a colleague of Oswald, said he spoke to Oswald on the first floor at about 12 noon. Shelley's and Piper's statements were omitted from the Warren report. How convenient. And Lee Harvey Oswald himself, while in police custody, said he was eating lunch on the first floor and had seen two fellow black employees, one he believed called Junior, the other whom he described as short, adding he could identify him if he was confronted with him eating their lunch. And investigations turned out to corroborate Oswald's claim of the two black employees while being present at that moment, Junior Jarman 
and Harold Norman, who in fact was short, were eating lunch at the very time in the lunchroom. The Commission's allegations of Lee Harvey Oswald's whereabouts are clearly lies when you consider that depository employees did see Oswald after 11.55 p.m. Central Standard Time. And for the record, may I state here, the Warren Commission's conclusion is based on unsubstantiated ideas and therefore wrong, and it is possible, however unlikely, that Lee Harvey Oswald raced up to the sixth floor and shot President John Kennedy. James Alkins, photographer for Associated Press, was in Dealey Plaza at the time of the assassination and took some very interesting photos during the assassination. On the moment when the President was killed, Alkins took a photograph of the depository front doorway. In the west corner of the doorway, there was a figure that clearly resembles Lee Harvey Oswald. And the clothing that the man was wearing is identical to the clothing Lee Harvey Oswald wore when he was arrested. And to further confuse matters, officially there was no recording or note-taking when Lee Harvey Oswald was interrogated in Captain Fritz's office, which can only mean that any statement made by Lee Harvey Oswald during these interrogations would not be in court afterwards. It was quite evident that Lee Harvey Oswald was being railroaded. And to add more fuel to the fire, Chief Curry said that we were violating every principle of interrogation. It was just against all principles of good interrogation practice. Captain Fritz corroborated no notes were taken. Be that as it may, there are indication notes were taken. Postal Inspector Holmes quoted Oswald as saying, You took notes, just read them for yourself if you want to refresh your memory. And on occasions, Fritz admitted he had taken rough notes. Because of the controversy evolving around Fritz, some rumor the tape existed and that Fritz had hidden it securely. Fritz said not to believe that rumor. What was learned, however, was that Fritz had received a telephone call from a fellow Texan shortly after the assassination, President Lyndon Johnson. No official record exists of this call, but speculating in the context of Johnson's actions it is likely Johnson asked him to disseminate only the evidence against Oswald, not the evidence that would make him look innocent. Any statements that were taken in the police station really don't matter. What does matter is that Oswald was either on the second or the first floor, but not on the sixth floor, as the commission concluded, and he was not the assassin who killed John F. Kennedy in Dealey Plaza on November 22, 1963. And based upon the Warren Report's information, they did not truly have a case against Lee Harvey Oswald whatsoever. The Warren Commission never came up with a motive. Why would Lee Harvey Oswald want to kill the President of the United States? A motive was never established. And had the case actually come to court, Lee Harvey Oswald would have been vindicated. An innocent man. Yes, an innocent man. And even after many years of controversy around every aspect and the evidence against Lee Harvey Oswald as the assassin of President Kennedy shouldn't have existed if Oswald's guilt was as clear as the commission concluded it was. If it was an open and shut case, the evidence would support it. Oswald's guilt is not as clear as the commission said it was, and the reason for this might be simple or extremely complicated. Was there a cover-up? it appears that there was. Are those people who were part of the cover-up still alive? 
Some of them are. Should the case be reopened and reinvestigated? I believe it should. I'd like to thank everyone for listening and watching. An Innocent Man. Some people hope for a miracle cure. Some people just accept the world as it is. I'm not willing to lay down and die because I am an heir.